so often we think that divisions and battles between groups in the church and disagreements and arguments on church councils and church boards and church agencies and general conferences and district conferences and all these disagreements and arguments and fights between Christians that we hear about these days are, are things of the modern era, things of today. When in reality, these types of arguments, these disagreements, these uh, contentions within the church go straight back to the very beginning, straight back to the New Testament church, straight back to the church in Galatia, the church in Ephesus, the church in Corinth, the church in Jerusalem, the church in Rome, the church in Laodicea, the church in every region of the ancient world. In the early New Testament period, there were divisions, there were disagreements, there were fights within the church. It's sad but true. Christians have always gotten themselves into arguments. They're always getting themselves into disagreements. They're always getting into fights. Now that's not an amen-er. <laughs> it's a sad but true statement. I guess the amen point there is that this has been going on a long time. And yet God's grace continues to contend with us. God does not quit us. Does not stop struggling with us. Does not sp stop speaking to us and working through us. Even though we fight. Even though we disagree. Even though we get into these arguments as the church. God still loves us. Amen? Amen. If I were God, I'd kick us out and start over afresh. Amen? Amen. Thank God God's not us. Amen. Thank you, brother. Thank God God's not us. That God is gracious and kind and relents from doing what we know we deserve, which is getting kicked out. Hmm. The New Testament church is no different from today. Now, what they fought about might be different. What they disagreed on might be different. But the fact that they had disagreements... <laughs> that's no different than today. Now, what were their disagreements about? Well, in the New Testament church, the biggest split had to do with, and this agreement had to do with, whether or not you could be a Christian without first being a Jew. Huh? Yep. In the beginning of the church, Christianity was a sect, a denomination of Judaism. It was a sect, a movement within Judaism. That's kind of strange. We don't expect to hear that, but it's true. Early Christians were Jews. And therefore, when they started spreading out beyond Judaism and Gentiles started wanting to follow Jesus, the question was, could you become a Christian from having been a Gentile without first also becoming a Jew. And what that meant for us gentlemen was circumcision. Ooh. You signed your church pledge card in blood, gentlemen. Wow. I mean, the women had it hard enough too. They had to start cooking a certain way. No more medium-rare steaks. Oh, no. 
No more chickens that just had the neck wrung. You had to chop the head off and let it bleed out. A lot more work involved in kosher cooking. They had blood purity laws. Let's not, well, let, yeah. Let's not finish with the food yet. Guess what they had to give up? No more bacon. Uh-oh. No more bacon. No more bacon. No more ham and cheese sandwiches. No more pork chops, fried or grilled. No more... Oh, God, I'm getting hungry. <laughs> no more medium rare steaks. No more bacon. No more ham and cheese sandwiches. No more pork chops. No more fried catfish. Well, there you go. It, it, now, you can't be a southerner and... No, no, it doesn't work. Hmm. No more unkosher food. Not just unkosher cooking, unkosher food. Now, that seems strange to us. They, they fight over that? Yeah, they did. It'd be like General Conference passing a rule that said if you had a bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwich, you couldn't go to heaven. Huh? Yep. Wow. They also had blood purity laws so that if a woman was in the midst of her period, guess what? The, they had to live outside the home in a tent and stay away from the men to keep them from becoming polluted by their blood. Hmm. Hmm. And if you had any kind of an issue of blood, fluid coming out of your skin in any way, shape, or form, you were impure. Remember the woman who had the hemorrhages? She was impure. She had an issue of blood. They had rules and regulations for what kind of clothing you'd wear. Did you have tassels on the end of your garment? If you didn't, you're in trouble. Gentlemen, if you mar the edges of your beard, like I have done here, if you mar the edges of your beard, as Jim has done, if you've, if you've done, don't know beard like Ben, <laughs> guess what? To hell you go. Huh? Uh-huh. You can't even trim this part here to make it nice and clean. No trimming of any of the beard. And ladies, don't you dare cut your hair. Oh. Another big no-no in the ancient world, in Judaism. They had rules and regulations for how you lived, what you wore, what you ate, how you cooked your food, what you did at various times of the month. They had rules and regulations that if you didn't keep them, you were not a Jew. You wouldn't be accepted in the covenant community. And the question was, in order to be a Christian which at this time was a sect or a denomination of Judaism, could you avoid or ignore those things, those rules, those regulations? Could you be a Christian and not be circumcised? Could you be a Christian and eat a bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwich? Could you be a Christian and mar the edges of your beard or shave it all off? Those were real questions in the New Testament church, and fights broke out over them, big ones. We'll talk about that in the future. We're kind of coming to the conclusion of it here where Paul says, nuh-uh, no. Jesus is our peace. In his flesh, he has made both groups, both the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians, into one Christians. 
and has broken down the dividing wall that is the hostility between us. There may be Jewish Christians, there may be Gentile Christians, and there are. But in Jesus, you're all one. There may be Methodists and Baptists and Church of Christ and Lutherans and Presbyterians and Episcopalians and Roman Catholics and Eastern Orthodox and Seventh-day Adventists and Assemblies of God and United Church of God in Christ and Church of God in Christ. I could keep going. But in Christ we're all one. He has broken down the divisions and the barriers that divide us. The opinions and the ideas and the cultural concepts that divide us. The rules and regulations of our denominations that divide us. The varying ideas of what one should wear or how one should live or who one should marry that divide us. He's broken the barrier down and brought us together in Jesus Christ as one. No longer Jewish Christian and Gentile Christian, but one Christian, one community, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, to quote Paul from elsewhere. The divisions in Christ Jesus are broken down. The divisions in Christ Jesus are put away. The divisions, because of what He has done for us, have been abolished. He has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances. What? that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace, and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross. Not this group to God and that group to God through their various ways. No, both groups to God in one body through the cross, putting to death the hostility through it. That's huge, my friends. I don't want to minimize what Paul has just stated. Jesus abolished... This one causes some people just to get, get the squunchies. They just, I don't like that. Jesus abolished, quote-unquote, abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances. What? Katargesis is the Greek word for abolish, and it means to nullify, to leave idle, to set aside, to discharge, to bring to an end. Also contains concepts like exhausting or using up. So abolish is really the right word to translate that Greek word into English. You can't wiggle out that way. I mean, I know some people, some pastors, They'll, they'll take that Greek word, they'll change, and they'll change the meaning completely. I'm sometimes guilty of that myself. Naughty, naughty. But today, it means abolish. Do away with nullify or leave idle. 
set aside. Elsewhere, Paul tells us that Christ completes and fulfills and brings to fruition the law through his life, his ministry, his death, and his resurrection. And that's the idea here. The law is no longer intended to determine who is in and who is out. Part of the law were those dietary regulations. Part of the law was their blood purity laws. Part of the law was the clothing regulations and how you shaved your beard and how you cut your hair. No. No longer does the law determine who is in and who is out. That's been done away with. That's a huge affirmation. It means that all these regulations, these rules, these guidelines, the thou shalt and the thou shalt nots are gone relative to the question of salvation. No longer in place for the purposes of determining who can be part of the family of God. In other words, God has opened the way for everyone. Without exception, regardless of your background, regardless of your ethnicity, regardless of your religious history, regardless of who you are, where you're from, what your name is, what language you speak, regardless of none of this, all are welcome to come to the family of faith. All are welcome to worship God. All are welcome into the body of Christ. All are welcome into the church. All are welcome. All means all. There's not a single person alive today on this planet who's ever lived or who will ever live that is not welcome to come to the body of Christ, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen, Amen indeed. All need to hear the good news. Well, they, they may be sinners. Good! We all are sinners. Every single one of us, without exception. We're all sinners. And God calls us to come into the family of faith. To come to the Lord Jesus Christ. To come and hear the gospel. To come and receive the good news to come and receive peace in Jesus Christ our Lord. For Jesus, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 14, for Jesus is our peace. What's that word peace mean? The Greek word, it's a very important word, you're going to hear it again and again and again. It's a rain a. It means, there it is in Greek, and there it is in the English transliteration, arene, and it means peace. Now, Webster's defines peace as a state of tranquility or quiet such as um, oh, the peace that comes in the night when you hear those little birds tweeting, and you look up at the sky and you see the stars, wow. Freedom from civil disturbance, a state of security or order within a community provided by law or custom, Peace is freedom from disquieting or oppressive thoughts or emotions, harmony in personal relations, a state of, or a period of mutual concord between governments, a pact or an agreement to end hostilities between those 
who have been at war or in a state of enmity. Actually, that one kind of works, doesn't it? Peace. Peace. Arene in Greek. True peace is the end of againstness. The end of againstness. The end of being against. The end of the division. The end of the conflict. The end of the contrariness. Now, some people just contrary by nature. But that doesn't matter. The end of againstness. With God and between humans. With God in that until God establishes peace with us. And it's God who does it, my friends. Until God establishes peace with us, we can't have peace at all. So with God, principally and foremost, and because God establishes peace with us in Jesus Christ our Lord, we also have peace with each other. We can have peace with each other. Now, we may not want to have peace with each other, but that's, not, that's beside the point. In fact, when we don't want to have peace with each other, we're sinning, friends. Huh? Yep. Greg just stomped on my toes. I know. I stomped on my own. I got up this morning and read Facebook, and I didn't like what I read. And there was no peace in my soul. <laughs> but because of what God has done, establishing peace with us in Jesus Christ our Lord, I have no right to get into conflict with others. Ooh. I have no right to hate someone. Ooh. Well, I don't like them. Well, that's fine. You don't have to like them, but you don't hate. You know, when you're going down the highway and someone's ahead of you, and you get ready to pull over to the left and some other car comes up to your left, and then they go parallel to the car in front of you, and then they sit there forever, and you're going along, and they're going along, and they block the highway, and you can't get around. And it's worse, because it's 70 miles per hour uh, for the speed limit, but they're going 45. <laughs> the guy on the right, no, they're your brother in Christ. The guy on the left's from Satan, isn't he? <laughs> That's how it feels. No. They're just as much a sinner as you. They're just choosing what sins they're going to commit differently than maybe you are at that moment. Because right now you're cursing, right? Uh -huh, yeah. They're just sitting there going parallel. Both in need of grace. Hmm. Jesus is our peace. And he establishes peace with God between us and God, reconciling us to God. And between humans breaking down those divisions those barriers that we have created the chasm that we have dug between us and God by our sins and between us and each other in our sins hmm. true peace is fully experienced in and through Jesus Christ can I get an amen? amen? I'm not sure y'all believed that. True peace. Let's try that again. True peace is fully experienced in and through Jesus Christ. Amen. And that's Paul's whole point here today. True peace 
is only found and experienced, only lived, only known in and through Jesus Christ. You can have aspects of peace, but only in and through Jesus Christ do we know the full peace, the true divine peace that comes from God and can reign in our lives. Christ establishes peace between God and us. And because of what Christ has done for us, we can enter into that relationship with God through Jesus and with each other as sisters and brothers in Christ. That's what peace is. The end of againstness with God and between each other. No more conflict, no more war. We can disagree. You may like steamed okra. I'll eat it fried with ketchup, but never steamed. Sorry, or boiled. We can disagree on, you know, that's okay. You may think, Greg, that alb looks, this, this, by the way, this thing I'm wearing here, this is called an alb, A-L-B, an alb. That alb, it doesn't look good on you. I prefer that big, black, heavy, hot robe that you wore last Sunday. I like it too, especially in the winter. But this time of the year, it's too hot. Or that color green may not look too great. Oh, that's okay. I'm fine. Hmm. We can have disagreements. But that's not conflict. That's not war that we have and that we experience in the church or in the community. Christ Jesus, He is our peace. He brings us peace. He establishes peace for us with God and between us and each other. That's what peace is. Jesus is our peace. Now, these past four Sundays, I've touched on the core of the Christian faith in several different ways, and I've lifted up three principal words that are central in our theology, faith and grace and peace. I want to recap them. You see them up there on the board in Greek on the left side at their translation into English, and go to the next one, you get the sounds. Pistis, charis, and irene. Go back to the other one, the Greek. Pistis, the first word, means faith. Charis, the second word, means grace. Irene, the third word, means peace. Go to the one with the English transliteration. Means peace. That's, those three words are critically important in my ministry. You're going to hear them again and again and again from me throughout my pastorate with you. Those three words, pistis, or its verb form, pistuo, or charis, grace, and arene, peace, faith, grace, and peace. You're going to hear them again and again in my ministry, in my preaching, in my teaching here. You're going to hear them over and over again. Why? Because they're central to the Christian life. They're central to our theology. They're central to our faith. The simple fact is, that those three words, faith, grace, and peace, 
sit at the core, not just of our thinking about God and our thinking about Jesus, but the core of our experience of who God is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus is the source and the focus of our faith. So often we get our faith focused on the wrong things, on people, on churches, on institutions. I'm an institutional kind of guy. I love the church. But in the end, it's just an institution, a human contrived thing meant to serve, to help, and to enable faith and the exercise of faith in Jesus Christ. Regardless of what a general conference may do or not do, what bishops or district superintendents may say, what the discipline may direct, regardless of all those things, our faith is sourced and is to be focused upon Jesus Christ. Hmm. Jesus is the source and focus of our faith. I'm going to preach that every year, friends. In one way or another, in one context or another, from one passage of Scripture to another, I am going to be preaching that message, as I do, and I have for 27 years. Also, I preach on grace. Jesus is the source and substance of grace. If Jesus is the source and focus of our faith, Jesus is the source and substance of grace. We cannot receive grace apart from Christ, and grace living within us and empowering us to life makes us into the body of Christ, the hands and the feet of Christ, the eyes and the ears and the lips of Christ. Grace is the amazing presence of the love of God in our lives. It is God's riches at Christ's expense that we talked about last week. Jesus is the source and substance of grace. And every year I preach the message I preach today on peace. Jesus is our peace. Jesus is our peace. Many times I will come back to this material and repeat it in hopes that it sticks, firstly with me, but also with you because we so quickly forget that since Jesus is the source and focus of our faith, because Jesus is the source and substance of grace, therefore Jesus is our peace. With Jesus as our peace, we have nothing to fear be it death or, more frighteningly, life. With Jesus as our peace, we have nothing to fear. And if we exercise faith and trust in His grace, then we will have the peace of Christ ruling within us, breaking down the divisions that we have dug between ourselves and God, and between each other. Let us give thanks and praise to God that Jesus is 
our peace and let us share his peace. The end of againstness that he gives us with all. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. In your